Yes, sir. Uh, your second bullet, detox. Uh, sensitize ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, to good and evil. Easy to see how we get desensitized to all that through media and culture, video mm -hmm. games, news, whatever it is. Um, I think your very first point, read good stories, talks about a bit about sensitizing ourselves, but the concept of how do I sensitize my children to evil? Uh, other ideas there other than, or in addition to the read good stories? That's a that's a good it's a good question and I mean a difficult one so I'd like to know what you think and what what others think in one sense one of the challenges of course is that I mentioned this before that John Senior's point that you read fairy tales you read stories and part of it you gain experience so by reading say a story where there's um, moral evil that takes place and that moral evil has consequences so it's very but the story can have moral evil but there has to be consequences for the, for the moral evil i think that is one way that a, a a child begins to say oh that happens so you know you read some of these or should I say uh complex novels where people suffer for bad choices i think that's that's one way i think um to sensitize ourselves also to to, to goodness is um i think it's very important that we listen to beautiful music uh, this is, a, a, I think, a, a, a challenge for us. Uh, it takes time to listen to beautiful music. I know, you know, my wife and I had big visions of how we were going to listen to classical music, but um, if I don't make a huge effort to have everyone sit down, be quiet, and go through pieces, um, we don't do that. And then the facts are pop music is attractive. I mean, it's, it's like candy, right? You want, everybody wants an Oreo cookie. And, and, and young people, um, young people, so like I was, high school students once asked me, why do I like rock music? I said, well, you like rock music because you're in high school and you've got all this energy. And you've got these, your hormones are going and you're, you're, all these things are happening and there's so many people and I've seen my friends and it's so awesome and oh my goodness, it's such an awesome day. And all the girls are dancing like, it's so cool, oh wow, oh my gosh. Right? And the guys are like, dude, yeah, check it out. Right? And it's like, yeah, what? Of course you like rock and roll music. It's meant for you. Right? Yeah, of course you like it. So the question is, how, how do you grow past it? Right? And I think, so part of it is uh, continual exposure to the, the good, the, you know, the be beautiful, serious music. I think that's another thing. And I also think, I mean, I also think, and this is a, a bit hard, and I don't know if it's a very good answer, because I think your question is a super important one, and I, I, I want to try to do it some justice, but I don't know. Uh, I think about it a lot, so please tell me what you think. But I think one of the things is to try our best in our lives, despite of all our weaknesses, um, confess our sins when we fail, but we try our best to keep our homes places where moral evil is not allowed in, where we try to love our spouses, where we try to live out appropriately um, the respect for the human person, especially in this culture which is hypersexualized, that we have, we respect the theology of the body, and that hopefully children begin to see what's real and know what's counterfeit. And as you probably all know, how counterfeiters are trained People are trained to spot counterfeit bills by spending all of their time looking at the real bills. They look at the real bills 
for hours, thousands and thousands and thousands of real bills. And when a fake bill comes, they can tell because they've seen the real bill. And I think this is a broad question and I, I think it would be actually a fantastic Sacred Heart discussion to say, how do we uh, sensitize our children to good and to the real and the, the true uh, so that when the counterfeit comes and attracts them, the attraction goes away soon. There may be a desire for children to like want the counterfeit because everybody has to build their own faith, right? You, you, you may be, you, there, atheism is everywhere, materialism is everywhere. Rene Girard says, of course people don't believe in God, it's contagion, right? And, but if we can create this deep, true experience of the hearth and the, and the, and the authentic, well, the counterfeit may be interesting, but at a moment says, I, I don't want the counterfeit. I see it, and they return, and that's what I think we can pray for. I don't know if that was a good, but, but your question is very important. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Do you have an answer? Are you going to solve our problem? I just love this lecture, and I feel oh, like I'm sobbing you. right now because I just oh, thank, thank you. you for it so much. And oh, I think thank you. I, was, I was late because I was working in my classroom. I'm a third-grade teacher in a public school. The first part was the best. I'm sure it was. No, I'm, I'm going to get the tape. <laughs> I'm just but joking. I think you were in the panel discussion maybe a few couple of years ago. Is that possible? I was, yes. Because I have listened to that over and over and over again on the good, the true, and the beautiful. And I spent four hours one morning transcribing the whole discussion. I love that lecture, oh, and I encourage everyone to watch it. So thank you for that. I also want to say, I'll tag on to what someone else was talking about. I know, I'm in a public school, but I know some homeschoolers and some classical school teachers use the strategy to help their children learn to identify beauty of watching for beautiful sentences in literature and then copying them perfectly with spelling and grammar from each chapter after they've read aloud. That's um, great. I tried that a bit, but it's hard because I have a lot of other demands on me. But I will say that what you've taught us and encouraged us to do, teaching them and training them, is possible. Because I read Heidi one year to my fourth graders after I'd been to Switzerland. They loved it. and when. Most of the way through the book, I didn't do that strategy of copying a beautiful sentence. But near the end, I started doing that. And one of my little ruffian boys came to me and he said, you know, Miss Curtis, this was a good idea. We should have been doing this every single chapter. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have, but time's tough and it is a lovely way to teach nice writing. But he could see the beauty in it. It spoke to his soul, like the beautiful language of Heidi and the beautiful descriptions of the mountains. This little kid who comes from a crazy household and is a little problem kid, it spoke to his soul. Right. So beautiful. I just encourage you that, yes, it can happen. You can awaken themselves to the beauty of nature around them if we take the time to help them see it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that, and thank you for the encouragement. Um, a couple of just quick comments. I think you, you hit on something important of the imitation is very important. A friend of mine is an artist named David Clayton, uh, and he does a lot of, I've talked to him about how do you educate children, and a lot of it is imitation. You, you, you copy beautiful things. Uh, you learn beautiful things and you copy them. Um, a friend of mine told me about this, some of this lady's writing a book, uh, and it's not out yet, but she runs a, a music school in, in um, in uh, France, and they learn Mandarin and, and music, and I think they have 70-some percent of their students graduate with perfect pitch, which is like tw three times or whatever Juilliard, but it also comes from I imitation and learning, so you're learning, you're, you, these th my point is these things are more possible 
uh, than, than we realize. And um, there's something in the human, like Thomas says that the beauty causes delight when known. And what is something beautiful? It has radiance, harmony, and proportion. And the, the, the intellect, uh, uh, the, practical, the practical intellect and the, and, and the speculative intellect, I think, are both attracted to order, to harmony and order and proportion. And so there is, the, but, but we can be desensitized. We, we see so much banal, so many banal things around us uh, that we do need a recovery of, of architecture. And I know soon, I think he canceled next week, but Duncan Stroik is gonna come back again. I mean, he's doing fantastic work. Uh, so listen to the Duncan Stroik uh, lectures from the Authenticum. I think I got, we'll do this last question. But then I'm, I can stay. Yes, Michael's going to stay. So if you have questions that don't get answered or you're too afraid to ask, line up over here so we can all see you. <laughs> but we won't hear you. But but he'll he's going to stick around, and you guys know you can stay as long as you want. So, um, but that allows us to wrap it up. Mike, I um, going back to the the phrase art is uh, is in the eyes of the beholder mm -hmm. I always thought that that was a misinterpretation of uh, art I thought it had more to do with personal preferences that is to say I, I I enjoy this or I dislike that but that art itself was defined by harmony that um, in all things what is beautiful is harmonious and that's why beauty can be related to truth. And it can be translated mathematically, for instance, almost whether it's in pictures, you know, in terms of light, and whether it's music, in terms of frequency. We can actually delve into why we think something is beautiful, and it's concrete and it's specific, and it has to do with um, order and, and truth, ultimately. And you can't, it's like saying, today that there's more than two sexes or something like that. You can't arbitrarily say something is beautiful when it's in fact ugly because your listener is, not, is, is going to inherently see that you're, what you're lying. You're not telling the truth. So I, I kind of wanted you to comment on that if you, you, know, if you, if you agree with that or if, if, if I'm looking at it very narrowly or, or what. Uh, no, thanks for that. I mean, th th this is a super complex topic so, and I, I, I can't do justice to to it, um, to be sure, a, a couple of quick things. I do think that, that I do think, and I tried to explain this a little bit, but I did it very quickly, I realized, that while we do have personal preference, that we're actually responding to something, and that thing is causing value outside of us. So when I used to teach undergraduates, I would play for them a music. I would, I would, it was ethics. I wasn't teaching aesthetics. I would start ethics and we'd talk a little bit and we usually talk about like relativism. I'd spend sometimes five to six weeks going through relativism. Most people are non-committed relativists, but it's so deeply ingrained it takes a long time to, to get by the time you're a high school student. When you're a child you're not a relativist, but you, you can become one pretty quickly. Um, and so one of the things I would do is I'd play music and I would have them listen to certain things. So a box cello suites, I would always do box cello suites, um, a Mozart piano concerto. Um, I would play Concierto Aranjuez, second movement, which is a very kind of passionate movement that young people like. It's quite beautiful. Um, I'd play Gregorian chant and um, 
Run DMC's Rockbox. <laughs> and one other piece I can't remember right now, but I'd go through this. And I always, maybe I ended with a, a Concierto Ranjuez. But I would go, I'd play the um, Gregorian chant, and everybody would be kind of calm. And then I'd put on Rockbox. Now, I was pretty nice as a teacher, but if you talked when I played music, right? My son's like, yeah, he's like, don't talk during music. I don't care if you're three years old. You will listen to the whole Bach mass in B minor. I don't care if it's five hours. No, okay. I don't do that. I don't do that again. Um, no, it's not true, mostly. All right, so, but I was kind of like hardcore. I was like, don't talk. So the students would like knew like, quiet. So they were listening, and it was hard for them to listen, which is very interesting. And then I'd play the Gregorian chant, and then I'd play the um, rock box. Like, my middle name is Lloyd, you know, like that. And they're like, you know. And I say, okay, what happened? Then I went back and said, what did you experience when you heard that? What did you feel? What did you experience? And they would always say, well, I got, I was very calm and happy. And then I was kind of agitated and excited. I said, oh, I know. You mean that uh, you were feeling peaceful and sleepy, and when I played that rap music, you got really angry at me and agitated, and you projected your feelings onto the music. I said, no, that's not what happened at all, right? So I began to walk them through. This is the point that, in fact, they were responding to value, and Dietrich von Hildebrand is actually quite good on this in the response to value that, you know, you don't respond to a beautiful sunset or a landscape like you do to a piece of, you know, lint, an Irish pennant, right? You don't look at that and say, oh, lint, oh, look at the lint on your coat. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so what you're getting to is that, yes, there is some harmony and proportion. So that part, that long story to say, absolutely, there are certain standards. Uh, David Clayton is quite interesting on this when he talks about architecture. Uh, you, people like architecture that's a big, small window, medium, middle window, shorter, smaller, high windows. There's something, or we like it, we're attracted to it. There's a reason why people go to Venice to look, and to, and to Florence, and they don't go to see the Grand Rapids Art Museum. <laughs> because some things are beautiful and some things aren't, right? No, you don't have tourists, like, let's go look at some neo-Stalinist apartments. Like, people aren't crowding those places, and I think that gets to your point. At the same time, I do think we have to be careful because there's inarticulate rationality. We cannot exhaust all the things that are happening. We have, it's way bigger than us. I think we, so we can get to some sense there, but to say that, oh, we can explain it, we can articulate it, that part I would be a little bit reticent to agree with. Um, sure. Sure, yeah. And higher value expressing what you feel is that the other person has a chance yep. to expand their soul to appreciate that beauty. Yep. And that's, I think, what I was yes. Yes, because it's absolutely so that and that's the joy of that's the joy of looking at because if it's actually something out there, then it actually matters what David Bevan thinks. Even if he's wrong. Even if, if I'm wrong. You know, if I look at the stars and they're beautiful, this example is very dumb, but if I look at the stars and I say, and one person says, it's sublime, and the other person says, it's cute, and the other person says, it's yellow. <laughs> like, we know that the yellow person is like, something's wrong, okay? <laughs> the cute person, like, what do you mean it's cute? Well, don't you see the twinkles? Well, yes, but did you notice the expanse? 
And I mean, this is a banal example, but the point is, oh, I didn't notice that. I was looking at the twinkle, twinkle little star. Right? And so the, 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 the mind gets expanded. If, if you're listening to the box cello suites and you've just gone through suffering, you can hear things that say, I couldn't hear because I hadn't gone through that. I mean, the, the soul can expand and, 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 and beauty and, and knowledge. Having, if you're a cellist and you listen to the Bach cello suites, you're going to hear more than I will. And you can explain things to me and our souls can expand. But that we can explain, it doesn't mean we can explain all of it. And I think we need to take inarticulate rationality seriously. Highly recommend, highly recommend Roger Scruton on these issues. If, has anyone read Roger Scruton? Okay, Roger Scruton. Okay, can we get a thumbs up for Roger Scruton? He has cancer, so you can pray for him. Um, Roger Scruton is, uh, you can go to his site, just rogerscruton.com, I think. Uh, he has, and I, I just looked, they should be here. He has a couple of really great essays. I can actually, if you, my website's on the bottom. I might not do it tomorrow, because I'm leaving. And I, I, won't, I won't, only part of the day I'm around. Um, uh, and, and, and so I can't probably do it tomorrow. But maybe on Saturday I can try to, or Sunday, I can try to put up some links to some Scruton essays. So if you want, I'll try to put them up beginning of next week. I, that I can do for sure. Um, S-C-R-U-T-O-N, Roger Scruton. And he has a couple of wonderful essays on, on kitsch and beauty and how to understand beauty. And he's, he's a tremendous, I mean, he has a lot of books as well. And so I recommend everything by him. But I'll put up just a couple of essays because an introduction to Roger Scruton. I should be able to have it up by the weekend. All right, I think we're done, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. That was exquisite.